11 days ago, found myself in the South Cheyenne Canyon, southwest of Colorado Springs, with my family. So I have two children, ages six and two. My wife is Anna, and, uh, and we were in the South Cheyenne Canyon with my in-laws, Chuck and Pam Chambers. We met at the trailhead and got advice from the park ranger for a two-mile gentle hike along the canyon that would take us to a one-mile marker turnaround and come the mile back. So a total two-mile hike. We thought, let's do this. The whole family can do this. Let's go. We leave the van. We have a baby carrier for the two-year-old. The two-year-old has just woken up from a nap in the last 30 minutes. And you know that moment when you wake up from a nap? <laughs> you're just kind of groggy. You're not all there. Well, she's groggy. She's not all there. And she's, she's voting no. Like, <laughs> I'm not going on this hike. And, and I have downloaded the Moana soundtrack to, like, put in the baby carrier so that, like, I'm doing everything I can, except I realize my, my download hasn't worked. And now I'm like, hey, Adeline, can I give you a, a puff, which is just a, just a treat, like every three minutes? And that worked on the yesterday's hike, but it's not working on today's hike. And she is just sitting down on the trail, crying out loud. And the baby carrier's on my wife's shoulders, and I've got the heavy backpack, and she's not doing this. <laughs> Other hikers are passing by, and we're like, uh, okay, you win. You, you don't have to go on the hike. So grandma, thankfully, and Adeline walked just a, a few tenths of a mile back to the van. We gave them the keys, and they, they stayed there. They did some walking around the parking lot, and we continued on our hike. Now, we were told by the, the park ranger that about a third of a mile in, you're going to see an overhang, a cave. It's really cool to explore. There was another family exploring the cave, so we didn't go in there. We kept going, and we're walking along. And there, there are some wispy clouds overhead swirling around. And uh, we checked the radar, and there is certainly something above us, and it's spinning away from the canyon. And so we, we press on. We're now at the half-mile mark. We actually notice Robbie, my six-year-old, notices a slot in the canyon. And it's like a little mini cave, but we just keep going, and... Now we're more than halfway to the turnaround point, so a quarter of the way through the hike, and, and there's, there's a change, okay? There's, there's a temperature drop. <laughs> it happens. It's like a three to five degrees. Something changes in the air, and, and there's a, a woman coming back with her dog, and she comes around, and, and we say to her, are, are you turning around because cause she's, she's kind of fast, quickly paced at this moment, and, uh, and are you turning around because of, like, the clouds? And... And she goes, yes, and <laughs> she keeps going back. And we, Chuck and my wife and I look at each other and we're like, oh, I, I mean, we looked at the radar, it's spinning away from us, so let's just keep going. And we're really close to the turnaround point. We keep going, we get to the, the turnaround point. It's not breathtaking at all. It's like a road, it's literally a road. And we get there and we're like, okay, well, let's turn around. It has been a pretty hike, it's not like, Worth it, though, in my opinion. I'm thinking about that park ranger now who advised us to go on this hike. And, and so we turn around and I, you know, things are kind of falling from the skies at all times in the forest. And so there's a, a white petal that drops down and we just keep going past. And then I see another white petal fall. And I, I realize it's not, a, it's not a petal, nor is it a snowflake. And I step on it because it seems to have some mass in it, and it's hail. It's pea-sized hail falling from the sky. 
And we start to pick up the pace at this point, and we're past the turnaround point, so we're a mile and a quarter in, and we're, we're trying to get back as quick as we can. And, and before you know it, things are changing very quickly in the, in the mountain, and it is swirling, the wind, and this hail is getting larger, and it's now not pea size anymore, and I, I just want to run. Like, let's go back to the trailhead. We're like a three-quarters of a mile. Let's do it. And Anna, my wife's like, no, we, we need to, there's the slot that Robbie found, like the, the little cave thing. We need to hide in there. I'm like, no. She's like, hide. And you listen to your wife in this moment, right? You just do whatever she says. And so she gets her flashlight out, looks inside the cave, sees no animals that have made their way in there. She wedges in there, gets Robbie in there. And now the hail is golf ball size hail. So it's frantic at this moment. And we're just trying to get in there and they're in there. The two of them are in there. I find my way into the back of the cave, which is not really a cave. It's just a narrow slit in the canyon. And there's this moment where grandpa says, I'm fine. He's found a little ledge outside the canyon to like hunker down underneath. And I think he's foolish, but he says he's fine. And, and all of a sudden there we realize in the slot, there's a two inch gap where hail continues to fall through. But thankfully we have the baby carrier that Adeline was supposed to be and we almost sent back with grandma to the minivan, but we've kept it. And now we're sitting here in this cave with the baby carrier covering this two inch slot in the canyon and golf ball sized hail is slamming into the ground just a few inches away. Oh, I'm just nervously smiling in this selfie in the cave holding the golf ball sized hail. That's outside a picture of the, the hail that is just falling on the ground. 15 minutes goes by and there seems to be a break and the hail size has shrunken a little bit. Something's changed. We venture out of the canyon slot and go a couple tenths of a mile and it, it just re-ups. It just goes forward. It gets big again. We're like, we're, we want to double back, turn around back to the slot, but we know we have to make progress forward to the trailhead because we don't know if this is 20 minutes or 30 minutes or what. And we just keep going. We keep going until it's impossible. Like we can't, the hail is big. And so now we find the biggest tree we can. We, we, we huddle near the tree base, me in front, Robbie behind me, Anna behind me, baby carrier, like a 18 inch baby carrier over three of our heads, holding us all secure. Grandpa can't, he doesn't fit under the baby carrier. He's just tree hugging. He's as close as he can to this tree in this moment. He's been plunked on the head once and the toe, both shoulders with golf ball hail. He's hurting. Five minutes goes by. Ten minutes goes by. We're looking at the skies, waiting for this thing to clear up. Twenty minutes goes by. Twenty-five minutes goes by. And we realize the hail is, is beginning to stop. So let's make a break for it. Let's run. Let's run. We begin walking out of there, but we, it, the walk turns into a run when, yes, the, the hail returns. <laughs> and so it's, a, it's, it's a, a long walk back, a quick run if we can make it. The, immediately as we leave, we, the, the scent is what captured me. It was this hail everywhere, crushed pine needles. It's like a, a million air fresheners, <laughs> just like in the forest in that moment. You know, you can smell rain. Well, you can smell a hailstorm in a forest because the ground is just covered with pine needles that have been broken open. We make it back to the trailhead. <laughs> Grandpa says, save yourself as he walks behind us as we run along and he makes it too. And we get to the minivan that's covered in hundreds of dents. And Adeline and Pam are safe inside the minivan, wondering where we've been. 
There's a, there's a sense, today we're looking at Psalm 19, and the opening salvo of Psalm 19 is, the heavens declare the glory of God, the skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech, night after night they display knowledge. Glory is, a, is an interesting word, it, it kind of means the weight of something, like not the physical weight necessarily, but the importance of something, the, the substance of something, and and glory, John Piper defines it really well here. He just says it's the, the glory of God is his infinite beauty and greatness. Now, any definition with the word infinite in it, you just, it's a head scratcher from the beginning. It's like, well, what does that even mean? It doesn't mean anything, but it means everything. And, and so the picture I have for you is, is the hail that I held in my hands that day. That's the glory of hail. Okay, it, it has a weight to it, importance to it. There's a sense that hail has a physical glory. God's glory has a not physical. It's not tangible. It, it can be at times. I think we see that in the Bible where people experience God's glory in a cloud, in a heaviness. But it seems to be kind of in, invisible most times. But God's glory is his infinite goodness and beauty. So the, the hailstorm created panic. Now, I've had other moments in nature. I feel like I... I'm a, I love nature. I don't do the, the impossible. I'm not a risk taker, but I really enjoy God's creation and being out there. And so about a year ago, I was in Yosemite Valley and I took it, I had a very different experience with nature that didn't create panic, but this one created peace. It's one that is, is a, a star shot over the Yosemite Valley. And here's the picture that, uh, that I took. It was a half moon, and so the, the half moon created this light in the sky that this special camera lens was able to capture, and the light over the valley, the cloud kind of over El Capitan, which is on the far left there. El Capitan is a mile and a half tall granite face. You'll notice the stars in the sky. You'll notice a couple stars on El Capitan, like there's two stars on the rock. Those are, those are not stars, but in fact, two climbers that have stopped halfway on their journey up this mile and a half wall to camp for the night. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they display knowledge. Now, uh, lest you think you need to pack up and go to the Rockies or to the Yosemite Valley to experience this panic, which some of you love, <laughs> the panic of a hailstorm, or the peace, which some of you love differently, you really just need to tune into the sunrise and the sunset here in Olathe, Kansas. This is this morning in our backyard here at Heartland 630, a shot of the canopy and the shade and, and the backyard. And, and people who are taking nibbles of the glory of God are noticing his beauty in creation. And you, you are one of those people. I want to challenge you. You notice beauty in creation. But is there a way that we could be people who take in God's glory, one sunrise, one sunset, and everything in between, it's filled with his glory one moment at a time. The psalm continues, and uh, C.S. Lewis writes this about this psalm, this chapter in the psalm, Psalm 19. He says, I take this to be the greatest poem in the psalms and one of the greatest lyrics in the world. So Psalm 19, the first six verses go like this. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they display knowledge. No speech comes from them. 
No words come from them. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth. Their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens, God has pitched a tent for the sun, which is like a bridegroom coming forth from his chambers, like a champion rejoicing to run their course. It's this beautiful opening creation song. Those are the first six verses of Psalm 19. And they're very general, like God is even general. And his creation is the topic. And here's a, here's a, a slide that's going to walk through the three sections of Psalm 19. And the first one is God and his creation. And even the word for God is a Hebrew word that just means God. It doesn't mean anything more specific than that. But the turn here is in verse 7. Those are the first six verses. Verse 7 is when things begin to be a little different for me, a little unsettling, because uh, it's not about creation. It's not as exciting to read to me. But I want to share with you verses 7 through 11. It says this, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord, they are firm. All of them are righteous. They are like much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. You know, when you read a poem and you're like wrestling through the poem and you're like, why did the person write that stanza after that stanza? It doesn't make sense to you. What I've realized as I've studied the psalm is it makes total sense to David, the author of this psalm. Like he's the one writing it. And when I write things, they make sense to me, though they may not make sense to you. And so in this moment, there's a challenge to like wrestle with a Stanza number one, that's a dissonant appearance to stanza number two. They don't seem to like fit together. And, and the wrestle is really interesting. What I want you to notice here is the second stanza is, is more specific. God has not become God, G-O-D anymore, but God has become the Lord, which is a more specific name for God. It's Yahweh. It's Hebrews, the Hebrews name. God's people's name for God was Yahweh. And so now it becomes God in the first six verses to Lord in verses seven through 11 and here's a, a slide just to see that uh, transition here. Uh, can you go, Chris, to the uh, part two there? I'm sorry, I'm jumping around on you. Uh, not that part two, the, verse, uh, the chart versus, yep, right there. So we go from part one, very general, part two, very specific, the Lord and his ways. And for me, it's, it's really one swing, one verse, verse seven, that is, the hinge that helps me understand the verse. And C.S. Lewis wrote a great book, Reflections on the Psalms, um, that have helped me understand this psalm. I want to read. Uh, verse 6 to you first says, The sun, it rises at one end of the heavens over the backyard and makes its circuit to the other end of the heavens. And the sun is on this journey and nothing is hidden from its heat. Now, I take contention with that. I studied engineering in college. I'd know about physics. Like, I'm hidden from the sun's heat right now. Like, just the sun has no effect on me, seemingly. But I pondered it, and uh, you in your living room, maybe you have a window and some sunlight's creeping in right now. 
But we here in this box auditorium, there are no windows and we are hidden from its heat, except to know that above us sits eight to 10 air conditioning units (laughs) that would speak very differently to the fact that we are not hidden from the sun's heat. This very building, the asphalt around it, all being heated up, your home depending on an air conditioner to protect it from the sun's heat. And so nothing is hidden from the sun's heat. This verse, C.S. Lewis writes, this is the verse to understand the whole psalm, if we can understand what this means. Because David, when he writes this, he knows that surrounding nations have worshipped this sun. One of the stars in the sky, the sun, other nations have turned that into sun worship. And David says, no, there is a God who hung that star in the sky. There is a God who created that star. The sun is not the God. God is created the sun. C.S. Lewis writes this, the key phrase on which the whole poem, Psalm 19, depends is nothing is hidden from its heat. It, this verse, pierces everywhere with its strong, clean ardor. Then at once in verse 7, he is talking of something else, which hardly seems to him something else because it is so like the all-piercing, all-detecting sunshine. The law, God's law, is undefiled. The law, God's law, gives light. It is clean and everlasting. It is sweet. And as David has felt the sun, perhaps in the desert, searching him out in every nook of shade where he attempted to hide from it, so he feels the law searching out all the hiding places of his own soul. Earlier I talked about how the hailstorm created panic, and I wonder if you feel that panic in this moment. Not the hailstorm, but the pandemic that maybe unsettled things for you. Not maybe, definitely. Or failing relationships where things are seemingly exacerbated by the scattered nature of the pandemic. Or you, maybe you're the hailstorm in your life. (laughs) I've just got to admit, like I wreak havoc on those around me. And there's a moment where I need to see myself in the Psalms, in the mirror of God's word. That's a helpful image for me to, to see the Psalms as we walk through these, to look at myself in them as a mirror. A mirror helps you see when your hair's out of place or when your pants don't match your shirt, in my case, or, or whatever. But when the Psalms, Psalm 19 functions in the mirror, it shows me that, oh, I think God's law is perfect, but functionally, I don't act that way. Like, I actually think my way's perfect. That's why I do the things I do. Everything I do is because I think it's the right thing to do. And when it gets me into trouble, like you, gets you into trouble, I don't think I'm alone. It makes me wonder like, oh, God's way is different than my way. His law, his statutes, his precepts, his ways are different than my ways. And if I can fix my ways to mirror his ways, then something about my life will be different. Radiant, peaceful, those adjectives that describe the life of someone who's looking in the mirror at God's word and aligning themselves to God's ways. For you and I, uh, the searching of the sun, the heat of God's law, where is it affecting us? I know for me, it's hard for me to be honest when someone has hurt my feelings. When I have a wrong with a friend, like for me to figure out the right way to, to approach them, that's dishonesty when I keep that hurt here and don't tell them about it. I know a second way that I violate God's law frequently is I'm envious 
of other people's experiences, of their possessions. I want what they have, what they're experiencing. And then me, kind of the big bucket is I, the third way is I just think I'm better at running my life than God. In the canyon, in Cheyenne Canyon, that, that moment, that story, I felt the adrenaline telling the story. It's the first time I've told that story. But it feels like folly telling you, like it feels foolish, right? You're in a mountain in the afternoon, clouds, hikers turning around. Like there were dozens of people along the path at the beginning of the hike. We didn't see anyone after the girl with the dog. It should have been clue number one, right? And and I'll admit like the the four of us were in four different places emotionally. (laughs) Chuck and Anna, my wife, were like, it's fine, we're gonna be okay. Robbie's like just like looking for an adult to take his cue from. And I am like, we are not okay. There is a hailstorm with golf ball size hail. We are hiding under a pine tree right now under a baby carrier. And Jim Collins like came running through my mind, like acknowledge the brutal facts. That's what's happening, but we will make it. And I said, we will make it. But right now, it's important that we look for anyone that might want to rescue us on the roadside driving by. There was an emergency vehicle that went by. I'm like, maybe that's for us. (laughs) It kept going. But this this moment in the canyon represented folly on some level. Like, it didn't get there because Adeline and Grandma weren't with us. But if there's six of us in that moment under a hailstorm, somebody's getting really hurt. And I wonder where the folly is in your and I's lives, spiritually speaking, not metaphorically speaking, but what's, where's the folly? And David, in the final stanza of this psalm, this thing goes from the stars in the sky to God's laws down to one individual person. David looks in the mirror and says, this is about me. I want to share the final stanza. David says, But who can discern their own error? God, forgive my hidden faults. Forgive my hidden faults. If there's anything in me, God, that's off, would you point it out? Keep your servant also from willful sins. So the hidden faults, forgive my hidden faults, but keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. May they not rule over my life. Then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgression. And the last verse is one that maybe you've heard before, verse 14. May these words of my mouth And this meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, God, my rock and my redeemer. It's beautiful because it takes us from the grandness of a God that might have created, that created everything to a Lord who has rules and ways for me to follow to experience his peace down to a, okay, there's parts of me that I don't like that fall short of God's ways. There's parts of me that I, don't know about my hidden ways. So now God, would you forgive me and help me to be 
pleasing in word and thought to you. Our challenge with this series has been to just do that, to read the Psalms. We're going to be reading them continuing into this week, one Psalm every day, to pray the Psalms, to ponder the Psalms. Ponder is just to think about, like, uh, this is a 10-year sermon, actually, because 10 years ago, Dan Saker, a buddy of mine, we just decided to memorize Psalm 19. And so all that comes out of my mouth today is really the, the work of kind of 10 years of chewing on a verse over and over. Like nothing is hidden from its heat, like that, that phrase. And so when you ponder something, it, it reveals the deeper truth in it when you think about it. And actually, I know our Bibles are ubiquitous. There's more Bibles in print than in the history of the world. We have Bibles on phones in our pockets, all that's there. But something is different about taking God's word, the Bible, specifically these Psalms and locking them into your mind and heart. Like it's, it's accessible in a moment. Jesus, when tempted by the devil, pulled on these Psalms that he didn't roll out a scroll <laughs> to quote the devil. They were locked in here. They were instinctive. And that was the, that's the Jesus first life that we want to be about. Is it easy? No, like memorizing stuff does not come with ease to me at all. I have to like walk, I have to creatively kind of use hand gestures, I have to think about it. I probably look insane like when someone sees me walking around trying to memorize the Bible. I have to write it down. But any effort in that direction yields incredible results in my spiritual life. And I just want to challenge you to take the ponder part of this slide, read, ponder, pray, and repeat. Take the ponder part seriously, differently this week. Some of you are way better at memorizing scripture and have great techniques with your kids to, to study God's word together. But when we do, something, something changes. Like it, it yields greater fruit. It becomes a treasure that we now have discovered and not kept in a book, but discovered and locked away inside a place that will not disappear. My, uh, my grandmother uh, said Psalm 91 on her deathbed. She was like Alzheimer's, really not herself, Psalm 91 was like there for her on her deathbed. It was, it was cool and creepy all at the same time. It was like everything about your mind is kind of disappearing and fading away. But God's word is locked in there, you know? So that's the challenge. We can lock away lots of things. Right now I've got Moana lyrics locked away. <laughs> but the challenge is to balance like the Moana lyrics with like Psalm 19, <laughs> Or the Beastie Boys lyric from my teenage years that I cannot get out. Like, like there's a reason things cannot leave. Songs, lyrics, the Psalms were meant to be sung. So our challenge is to, to, to read, to ponder, to pray the Psalms, and then just do it again. I want to pray for us, and then we'll, dis, we'll be dismissed. Jesus, these, these were a part of your songbook. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of your hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they display knowledge. Jesus, you sat over Lake Galilee and watched the sunrise and thought of those words. <laughs> and so we too choose to be a people who lock in the words of God into our minds and hearts to meditate, to ponder on them, and to take up your songbook, Jesus. In your name, amen. Hey, have a great rest of the day. We'll see you next week.